Hello, romantics. Welcome to a pod to be you, the talk film society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen. I'm your host, Manish Mather, and I'm delighted to welcome back uh, a big, big friend of the show, Aaron Fraser. How are you? Hi, Manish. I'm I'm great. I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited <laughs> to talk about this film. <laughs> Yes. Um, so listeners may not know, but we uh, the film that we're talking about today is really, I think, kind of a, um, I don't know, like a, a running joke in your family, or uh, how would you describe it? It's kind of like this, uh, I don't know, this like joke with you and your aunt. So I'm really, I'm yeah. excited to to be a part of it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I've always. Um, I've always wanted to know, like, what's the most embarrassing movie I've never seen? Although a friend of mine pointed out last night to me that maybe I shouldn't call it the most embarrassing movie I've never seen, but the most surprising movie I've yeah. never seen. And so for years, it was Raging Bull. I'd never seen Raging Bull. Uh, and then we went to L.A. and we I wanted to see something at the New Beverly and they had a 35 millimeter print of Raging Bull. So I thought, OK. Now's the time to see Raging Bull. And then it became The Graduate. And it became The Graduate. So after I saw Raging Bull, it became The Graduate, partly because it really annoys my aunt that I I had never seen The Graduate. (laughs) And so my aunt and I are very close. And she has been one of the big inspirations for me to become, and one of the big influences in in my life to become interested in film and cinema to begin with. Growing up, she would take me to see things like Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. And then I would see like film noir movies at her place. Her favorite film is uh, The Third Man. And so just, she's always been a big influence in my life. And at some point (laughs) she figured out that I'd never seen The Graduate. I think because I was was telling her about Raging Bull because there's also a funny story in my family about Raging Bull. Um, because you're like, when it initially came out, uh, someone had like rented it for my grandparents to watch. <laughs> Apparently it was kind of a complete <laughs> film for them anyways. So for a couple of years there, whenever we would get together to watch a movie, uh, or get together for, for dinner and then we'd watch a movie, she'd say, okay, tonight's the night we watch the graduate. And I would always manage to distract her with something, whether it was like, <laughs> Uh, the Hustler or Sherlock Jr. or um, Gaslight. Those are some of the movies that I managed to distract her with and we'd watch something else. Uh, and so she she frequently checks in with me to see if I've seen The Graduate yet. Uh, and I, I had to have a reason. I had to have a reason, Manish, to, to kind of, to, to, to have a new surprising movie I've never seen, to kind of break this this joke. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you, you gave me a reason. So I finally saw it. <laughs> So, I mean, this is, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm, I know, like, when I was pitching for you to come back on the podcast, and I was like, Mm -hmm. look, we're doing this, like, 1960s, you know, semi miniseries that I haven't really named as much to the audience, but. And um, I've been watching some great films, like Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. Yeah. Yeah. Classics that I adore. It's, I mean, it's been really fun. And so I was like, you know, I definitely ha- you know, have to have Erin back because she's, you know, <laughs> one of my favorite podcasters, um, one of my favorite people that I know in the podcasting online space. And I was like, Thank oh, you, you know, I know. Yeah, of course. And I was like, I know she hasn't seen The Graduate. I know it's like this like huge thing with like her <laughs> aunt. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe I, I'll be the, you know, I'll be the one to, to get her to watch it finally. Mm-hmm. So after all this, you know, what's your, what was your takeaway? Did you like the film at all? Did you oh. hate it? What did you think of it? I loved it. I yeah. absolutely loved it. And the thing is, is I knew I would. Yeah. I, I knew when I finally saw it, I would love it. Uh, I adore Mike Nichols. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. I haven't seen all of his filmography. There's some, there's some big ones I really want to catch up with. I, I still haven't seen Silkwood. That's the one that like, I really. Oh yeah. I haven't seen that either. Oh, it, I mean, it sounds great. Um, but you know, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, Postcards from the Edge, uh, The Birdcage, Closer. I absolutely adore Closer. I feel like that's kind of a divisive film with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I like um, that movie a lot as well. Oh, it's so like, it just, it's one that I, <laughs> such a sad movie, but it's one yeah. that I watch <laughs> as a comfort movie because it's just so yeah, emotional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, no one does kind of relationships like Mike Nichols. Mm-hmm. And so I've always known that I would like The Graduate, you know, the scripts by Buck Henry of like other films he's done the script of. So I always knew it was up my alley. Um, but it was just one of those things again, where like, you know, when you have an inside joke, you just kind of, you keep pushing it. And also it, you know, like sometimes you, you want to know that there's, there's good things still to enjoy. Like there's still, like, I get really excited when someone hasn't seen a movie that I think is great. And yeah, I I get excited because they get to see it for the first time. Right, right. And so I guess for me, I was like my first time with The Graduate, like I just kept pushing into the future because I kind of knew, kind of knew I'd love it. And I did. <laughs> I was not, I was not surprised by by how much I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, Mike Nichols, you know, he's, I think, a, an amazing filmmaker, you know, Virginia Woolf, of course, closer yeah. as we discussed, like, he just has this, um, you know, uh, it's it's hard it's hard to even describe like what he does well because he's so um, he's such a varied filmmaker and he does so many great so, so many things really well. Um, and I also agree that like it's nice to have. I, I feel like there's always some like uh, when you know you're gonna like a movie, it's like but it's like a major blind spot. I totally can understand and, and empathize with like just like keep pushing it off because like you want to like save it and you want you know and so um i totally yeah uh but yeah i'm I'm really glad to hear that you loved it i had no doubt that you would as well i was pretty sure just like kind of knowing you know your own taste and knowing that this is you know i think one of you know the classics of the the 1960s um but yeah and like i love this movie as well like i've seen this movie a number of times uh I'm pretty sure the first time I watched it was in college, like for a film class and just has, it's been just one of those movies where I'm like every couple of years, I just like throw it on and it's discovering new things about it. You know, it's one of those. And um, it's a movie that also, I think the the comedy of the film really jumps out to me the more I watch it. And I'd be curious to, you know, have you watch it again in a couple of years to see if that's your experience as well. Cause it's a very funny movie, but I think when I first saw it, I thought it was very like, I didn't think it was like very serious, but um, I think seeing it now that I'm like, you know, about maybe like, what, 10 years older than Dustin Hoffman's character. I'm like, I can see a little bit more of his, like I'm closer to age and Bancroft, which is very, Oh yeah. It's very strange just because like when I first saw this movie, I was like 19 and she seems so much older, but she's only like three years older than me. You know, it's very, I mean, she's lived a longer, more of a life than I have with, uh, you know, with the marriage and, and children. But mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it's such a, it's such a great movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting because like had a certain perception of its themes and what it was about going into it, because it's hard not to, it's mm-hmm. an iconic film, uh, it, it's interesting to me how the, the Simon and Garfunkel song, Mrs. Robinson, actually isn't in it as much yeah. <laughs> as you would think. But I, I grew up listening to a lot of Simon and Garfunkel um, because they're they're among my, my parents' favorite musicians. Uh, and so I've heard the song a million times, um, but it's, it's really not the feature song of the film. Yeah. It's more The Sound of Silence, which I think... Um, makes more sense for the film in the end. Um, and then also, I mean, I think like, like a lot of millennials, there's, there's that bit in, uh, in 500 days of summer. So, uh-huh. you know, I've always thought like, okay, like, what is this? What is this ending? You know, how have people 
misinterpreted this ending. And so I kind of knew where it was starting and to a certain extent where it was going. Um, but there were a lot of surprises in the film for me, you know, even though, you know, you know, all the cliches, you've seen like the Simpsons parody it and so many things. Yeah. Um, but actually sitting down and engaging, engaging with kind of the original text itself. Well, not the original text, not the book, but like the film itself, which is more iconic. Um, it, it did surprise me in the ways in which it's funny, uh, for sure. And then also, you know, I think my partner, Matt and I on our, on our podcast, Bollywood is for lovers sometimes get really exasperated with these films about kind of 20 somethings trying to figure out what to do with their life. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's a lot of them in Bollywood. Sometimes they really land. And sometimes, uh, I think, I think we, we just get kind of frustrated with them. Um, and, and the graduate is kind of the template for that in, in some ways about, you know, the, like the existential crisis of the recent graduate. <laughs> um, but here, I think because of the tone the take, the film takes with Dustin Hoffman's character with Ben, it works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I, I wondered if that was going to, you know, that, that thing that grates me in other movies was going to grate me here, but it really, because of all of the things that go on in this movie and then the ending, it really didn't. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think the reason why it kind of works in this movie is that I, you know, this, you know, with this movie being in like the night, like, you know, 1967, mm-hmm. you know, kind of that mid sixties era, like you definitely have the like push and pull between the like 1950s, like post-war yeah. Americana and, what's going to be happening in, you know, in the seventies and uh, the, like you know, the hippie era, Vietnam, all that stuff. So like, it's this like, you know, kind of limbo period. I mean, you know, I don't, I'm not a historian, so I don't know the dates of all these movements <laughs> and, and eras, but I imagine there is some like, the, it's like this like limbo period where you don't really know like what's, you know, America, I feel like doesn't really know what's, where to go what it's what, what direction it's going to be heading in in the next few years so um i can definitely sense the like you know not to be all like oh benjamin is america but like <laughs> um there's you know the the nui that he he feels i feel like is definitely more founded than it would be for like other movies where um you know the characters are kind of like aimless and you know like all those like indie Sundance type movies which is like mm-hmm. you know it's you know I, I there's definitely I think a more foundational element to it that I, I really appreciate and I think one that becomes more clear I think the older you get you know um mm-hmm. yeah, yeah I, the film is coming at such a point of the transition um yeah. I think as you say for for American culture and also in Hollywood filmmaking like I mean the, the film that Mike Nichols made before this, who's a great of Virginia Woolf, is known for being a huge turning point in terms of content in Hollywood films. Yeah. Uh, so again, this, I think, you know, was coming right after that. And, you know, like the sexual content, the language, uh, you know, you, you can kind of, you can see, you can see that shift. Uh, and then yeah, again, yeah. I think like you see that shift also in kind of how the film is, is structured and the way that like Ben is initially seduced by like this older idea, you know, this older, this this more, this older experienced woman, um, but then really kind of follows more of that naivete with, with her daughter. And so, you know, again, like it's just, and I think also the film, it, it accomplishes something that I think is really hard to do where I think it both is, kind of loving towards its characters, but also deeply critical of them at the same time. Like, I think, mm-hmm. I think Nichols, you know, like he sees, he, he sees good things in, in Ben and Mrs. Robinson and Elaine, but he also sees the ways in which, you know, the, these people have so many shortcomings and are kind of maybe doomed and so in that sense, you know, it's, I think it's kind of balanced and, and relatable and really heartbreaking. Like it's, this film's romantic, but it's also so incredibly heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I definitely agree. I, it's such an interesting, I, I think his characters are, are so interesting. I mean, especially when you think about a movie like Virginia Woolf, which is, mm. 
you know, so it's such an upsetting movie. These characters are so larger than life and very like overbearing and shrill, and they're just like, you know, it's 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 hard to watch. But at the same and another time, film about sympathy, and another film about the older generation and the younger generation, right? Yeah, yeah, older generation, younger generation, and then also. Um, just yeah, there's so much like empathy and and understanding, and mm-hmm. I think that even you know carries into you know the his movies like as the aforementioned closer, you know where where like he wants to understand these characters and he wants to like really show them as like you know three dimensional human people, even when he's kind of looking at them like through a microscope a little and microscope a little and seeing like trying to see like what kind of like what's what are their anxieties what are their insecurities and i think the push and pull between you know mrs robinson and elaine i think is really interesting um mm-hmm. because um it's just fascinating to, to to see benjamin kind of go through this like bizarre love triangle and see like how he becomes more of a an agent of his own life I'm curious about what you think about how quickly he falls for Elaine because he's so, he's so hesitant because of his relationship with Mrs. Robinson. And because, uh, you know, she, she essentially wants to forbid it. I think because she's worried that her daughter will repeat her own mistakes. Yeah. Um, Which again, like that's there, but is never, I think fully really spelled out. Um. And then, you know, so, so Ben, Dustin Hoffman's character, he, he's so reluctant. And so he takes her on this terrible date, <laughs> where they go to a strip club um, that just, again, had me absolutely cackling. Yeah, um, yeah. And then so quickly, like, there's just this turning point where, when he sees kind of how upset she is, where then he decides like, oh no, I'm, I'm actually going to try and be nice to girl, this girl. And then like goes to full on obsessive. And I think it could be, it could be easy to dismiss how quick that changes, but I think it makes so much sense because, because of the way that like this woman is, is a proxy for the things he's felt with Mrs. Robinson, but hasn't been able to, you know, he's had that, that kind of carnal desire satisfied with Mrs. Robinson, but the, but wanting to talk to someone, they make it very clear has not been, been satisfied. So then you know, when he sees like, oh, I can talk to Elaine and she's, you know, that that proxy for Mrs. Robinson in a way, but with all these things that that Mrs. Robinson was missing, all the things that was missing in his relationship with Mrs. Robinson, he so quickly, you know, like this, this, this is the perfect woman for me. And I think that that rashness of youth is so important. And I think it's it's done very well, but I can see, I guess I can see people finding maybe that turning point kind of quick. I, hmm, yeah, it's interesting. I, I feel like it's a really interesting point that it's kind of like finding what's lacking in one relationship into the other and kind of like quickly transferring that to me. It's, I think that there's definitely that element. I mean, I definitely agree with you there. I also feel like, um, there's such a you know when like mrs robinson is forbidding it but mr robinson is for it and his parents are pushing for it and so it's kind of like i feel like it's you know i feel like they're he's almost trying to talk himself into wanting to date elaine Mm-hmm. Um, because it's like, well, she's age appropriate. She's this, you know, she's going to become, you know, she's bright, she's intelligent, she's going to be successful, she's beautiful, you know, and my parents want me to do it. And it's kind of like, okay, like he can, like, um, he like gets himself excited to do it. And then it's like, yeah, then becomes obsessive over because now it's like, well, here's this relationship that's actually not taboo and that I can actually be open about that everyone seems to be you know, wanting me to do. And it's something that he can like work towards while he's like figuring out his like own life, you know, like instead of being like pushed towards like, I'm, you know, while he, you know, he's being pushed towards like plastics or whatever, like the famous <laughs> part of the film. <laughs> um, but, he, but then it's like, well, okay, I might not have any purpose in my life, but at least I can date the right girl. Mm-hmm. And I need her to like be this like, 
anchor in my life. Yeah, yeah, because so much of the film is about like he has his no direction. Parents, his parents, like, yeah. friends trying to like push him. Oh God, it's so. I love how Nichols makes all of that stuff, um, like that opening party, so yeah. uncomfortable. Like you just yeah. feel Ben's discomfort. Um, I mean, Nichols came from from the stage and 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 came from comedy. He's, I think, he's very much like a an actor's kind of director. Oh yeah, but yeah. He has such a way with the camera, you know, just like how he'll really like do these close-ups on people's faces that feel like so intimidating and claustrophobic. Um, and then the way that like he kind of uses the sun-soaked California um, to create like these scenes that just kind of meld into one another about this kind of aimlessness. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's just, it's so, he, he really knows how to kind of just kind of create a mood to make you feel um, to make you feel the way Ben is feeling and getting kind of caught up in all these things. It's, it's yeah. very impressive. And I think one of the biggest strengths of the film. Yeah. I mean, I just want to point out that um, Mike Nichols won the best director Oscar for this yeah. film. And, and it was uh, quite the year. It was quite the year. I mean, I'm just looking at the list now. You have Bonnie and Clyde, of course, which is like, yeah. you know, another game changing, you know, cultural reset, as they say. Um, in the heat of the night, another important yeah. film. Guess who's coming to dinner? Yeah, blood. I mean, this is like this is like a stacked year, and he wins for this film that I think you know what could easily be seen as like not directed because it's very it's, mm-hmm. you know it's very human based, it's very talky. It's very. I mean, this is the '60s, so I, I don't know if that was like a thing that people said. But you know, you're absolutely right in that like the way he films stuff, like through even like with the breathing and the scuba gear and the the party and just like the um just even the way he places his camera during the seduction scenes like it's very uncomfortable and it's very awkward and you know i want to talk about dustin hoffman just because mm. you know when i was reading through the list of the actors they wanted to play benjamin like i think um War- is it warren Beatty or or, or robert redford or one of those like sex symbols of the era mm-hmm. and I'm like, I just don't think those guys could ever really play like in like gutturally uncomfortable as Dustin Hoffman can. And I think it's, you know, I think those guys just have this like natural charisma. And it's like, I don't see these guys as people who can like live in this like limbo of not having any future. Like they seem like they're very driven. Whereas Dustin Hoffman can play this like, you know, um, uncomfortable, shy, awkward, you know, um, character and I, I think it's it's really genius casting in my opinion because I, th- I think it really highlights you know this like um, uh, fish out of water kind of out of place uh, character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I have a huge crush on Warren Beatty in this era. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like I shouldn't admit that. I don't know. I, I have weird crushes. Um, see also my weird crush on Elliot Gould. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, but I agree with you. Like, I think, I think you, you need someone who doesn't have obvious sex appeal. Now I'm not trying to say Dustin Hoffman has sex appeal, but there's something like, I think you see, you need to believe why Mrs. Robinson, why Anne Bancroft like sees him and says like, yes, that's, that's a young man who I can like mold into my sexual plaything. And why she would be attracted to him. But I think, yeah. you know, you need that kind of awkwardness, especially to sell all those scenes where like he's initially goes to the hotel and gives a different name and like, or even like his own, um, uh, like his own frustration or, or um, panic <laughs> when yeah. she like goes through her whole seduction um, and eventually getting him alone and, and, and stripping um, which again is another amazingly shot scene in the way that uh, Nichols uses editing there. Oh um, yeah, feels yeah. really like feels very very ahead of its time, but also kind of a part of what was going on that time. You know, again, it's the same year as Bonnie and Clyde, which also used a lot of like uh, a lot of those quick cuts. Uh, so yeah, I think I think you kind of need someone who who feels a bit awkward, like yeah. like, like Dustin Hoffman does. 
Yeah, I mean, like looking at the list uh, of of guys, like it's such an interesting. I mean, the casting for this movie is so interesting. I mean, I, oh, we'll yeah. definitely have to talk about Anne Bancroft, but everyone uh, wanted all of these roles because yeah, they, yeah, they knew I mean, it was going to be a hit. <laughs> you have like uh, Marlon Brando's in there, George <laughs> Capard, you know, Carl uh, Malden, Jack Lemmon. Oh, yeah. sorry, these are. Uh, so, sorry, some of these are not for Ben Braddock, but Jack those Nicholson for the, for the dads. Those for are for the, the dads. dads. Yeah, 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 those are for the dads. Sorry, but I mean, you have Jack Nicholson, Steve McQueen. I mean, Anthony Perkins. I think would have been interesting because he does have that like awkward, out of place kind of thing, even though he's very classically handsome. But um, it's it's just very interesting, um, and I think Dustin Hoffman just has that, and I, I I definitely can see sex appeal in him, especially like it's just mm-hmm. so like. In the sense, like, I can see why someone like Mrs. Robinson would want to, like, seduce him and kind of, like, mold him, as you say. Like, he's very, yeah. like, um, that. And, yeah, I really love that 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 seduction scene. I love the editing there because it's it really gives you that glimpse of someone that, like, wants to look but doesn't want to look, mm-hmm. you know? It's yeah. very, very... Um, uh, yeah, I agree. Definitely ahead of its time. Like, I, that, it always catches me by surprise when I, when I watch the film again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because it it does it feels very modern, even yeah. though you know it's, yeah. it's from the sixties. But I think I think these movies, you know, like I think these a lot of these kind of um, new Hollywood movies from the late sixties and early seventies, they do feel very modern because they yeah. changed the way Hollywood makes. Yeah. <laughs> they literally brought in the modern era. Exactly. Um, but yeah, and then going to you know. I, you know what you said um, about Mrs. Robinson is uh, really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. As to, like why, you know, like like um, about about why she doesn't want Elaine to date Benjamin and kind of get stuck in that same life. Um, and, like I, as I was saying earlier, like it always surprises me how young Mrs. Robinson is. I mean. I, yeah, so Anne Bancroft was 35, which is my exact age, <laughs> which is a little unsettling. However, I yeah. will say I do wear just as much animal print as she does, so that <laughs> checks out. It checks out, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, at first I'm like, maybe she's playing like 10 years older, but I actually think yeah. that like it's more the like, she might be playing a couple years older, but I also think she's, you know, 18 years before, you know, 1967 is in the 40s like yeah like she had a shotgun wedding so yeah definitely imagine like she like had her child very young it's now in this role of like housewife and so i think it's definitely like an undercurrent in the film and i I think it's definitely you know perhaps she doesn't express these concerns in a productive way but i think that's valid and i think it's um kind of makes her character a little bit more tragic a little bit more empathetic rather than you know, this sort of, um, like, seductress, you know, dear penthouse type character. Yeah, all these characters, you know, kind of your central three, they're they're all so incredibly sad. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a sad movie to watch. There's, there's this sense of tragedy looming over the whole thing, even you know, even as, and I mean, that goes back to like the whole 500 days of summer thing of like, it, mm-hmm. this can feel like such a triumphant ending. He gets the girl, they ride off into the sunset, but because, because Nichols holds it as long as he does, it that sadness creeps in again. Yeah. <laughs> that uncertainty creeps in again. Um, and, and I think the choice to hold it there as a po- and, and not cut it earlier is a bold one. I haven't read the book, so I don't know how that aligns with the book, but um, it's certainly a notable choice um, as I'm not, I'm far from the first person to point this out about this film. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely feel that like sadness like throughout the film. And, and I, th- I think it's one of the uh, master strokes of, of this movie is just like how much like how much like room is given for all these like complicated emotions to kind of play out like yeah. exactly i mean the ending of course we'll, we'll spend a lot of time on it just because it's 
I think one of the most famous endings of all time, but yeah. you know, it's very easy to think of this as like a, you know, uh, ending where, yeah, like he gets the girl, they ride off and, you know, it, it's so funny. I feel like I, I, I guess I like misremembered it in my mind. I thought they like, they like got married, like, he like disrupts the wedding and like they get married and then they run off and then I, uh, which is I don't know I guess it logically I don't know how that why I thought that because that makes no sense yeah. but like that's how it played in my memory and I when I was watching it again you know uh from this podcast I was like oh right they don't actually like she's already married to Carl mm-hmm. Smith and she runs off and then now like the makeout king yeah the makeout king <laughs> god um and um yeah, it's just, it's interesting because, like, that sadness that kind of trickles in, it's also, like, how do we, like, clean up this mess? Like, whether it's whether they stay together or not, like, she has to go back and, like, you know, get divorced, or even if she decides not to stay with Benjamin, like, you know, does she want to stay with Carl? Like, what does she want to do? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we could talk about Elaine now, because, like, I, I definitely have a lot to, to ask you about her, but, like, it's sort of, like, the ending for her and the ending for him could be very different. You know, yeah. like if he's like, wait, do I actually want to be with her? She might also be like, oh, I actually don't know how to clean up my life now because like I just did something really um, reckless. So, yeah. it's so it's so interesting. I also had the same. I, I hadn't seen it before, but because yeah. I, I kind of there were things I knew about it and I knew the last shot. I actually also thought they got married at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and I kept wondering, I kept wondering what was going to happen to the car because I knew the ending was on a bus. And so I spent the whole movie wondering, cause the car is such a thing, you know, this yeah, yeah. foreign, this sexy foreign car that he has um, that like, I'm certain I would not know how to drive. Cause I think he says it's like a foreign shift. And I was like, Oh, I'd be completely lost. Um, and so I kept wondering what was going to happen to the car. And it wasn't as climactic as I thought. I thought, he was gonna, <laughs> like, I thought the car was going to get destroyed somehow, but he just runs out of gas. <laughs> he just runs out of gas. Yeah. Um, you know, what's also interesting about the wedding scene is um, right before, you know, she calls out to him. I think she, she like notices how angry everyone is. Yeah. And I'm like, is this some sort of like, I was like, oh, this is such a, like, rebellious thing where, like, she just married this, like, perfect guy who's, like, frat brother, like, you know, uh, has that little, like, make-out king side, but it's obviously very, like, bring-home-to-mother type. And everyone wants her, everyone's, like, yelling at Ben, like, she needs, and then she has, has this, like, rebellious moment, and, like, that's why she does it, more so than, like, being in love. I think that's, like, a lot of, I think what might also drive a lot of this relationship is like this like rebelliousness, especially um, yeah, it's especially that that ending. It's like right after she sees everyone like cursing him out is when she screams out Ben. And so yeah, I, like, I mean, what's I think, really driving that? I think they're both driven by rebellion because again, yeah. like Ben becomes most interested in her when she yes, there are people in his life pushing him towards her but he's not really interested in her until he's kind of told he can't have her Mm -hmm. until he's told actually because of your past actions now this relationship is forbidden and that's Mm -hmm. when and 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 then you know when he tries to pick her up in the rain what a crazy sequence when he tries to pick her up for that next date in the rain yeah um and that's like it's i mean it, it almost feels like a set of a horror movie yeah, um, yeah. it's kind of how heightened it is uh and then like that's when the obsession turns in and then i think you see you see her also when when he goes to berkeley you see you see elaine start to start to give in to him because now she has like a foil like now there, there there's there's carl smith guy who everyone wants her to be with but she doesn't want to be with him, of course, because she she's also kind of driven by the danger yeah, <laughs> of Dustin yeah. Hoffman and and the you know like she has that whole confrontation screen confrontation scene with him where she screams and it's kind of after she lets go of the scream where then like she really starts to she really kind of recaptures her interest in him, I think. Mm-hmm. and so again i think like it's when she sees i agree with you it's when she sees at the wedding like everyone kind of upset by it that she's like oh yeah i'm going to i'm going to run off 
I'm going to run off with this guy. I don't, I don't want the life that my parents have set up for me. I don't want the life that, you know, and again, when you talk about transition in America at the time, I don't want, you know, what the previous generation had, I'm going to seize it for myself. But then again, like that existentialism (laughs) at the end of just like, okay, these two, these two make the choice for themselves, something that is kind of deeply messed up and you feel like it's going to hang over their relationship for the rest of their lives. Um, but I think, I think they are attracted to it because, because they're being told they, they can't be together. Yeah. And they're like, I mean, they're like 21, like they're practically teenagers. Of course, <laughs> of course they're yeah. gonna, like at that age, you want exactly what you can't have. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's also interesting because, um, yeah, they're so young and yet they're being pushed to get married so fast. Yeah. I mean, you know, and so I think it's, it's like, I, I, I guess it's, it's interesting to me to watch movies from this era or like from like older films when it's like you have these kids getting married at like 21 and, you know, being driven away from relationships that would be a mistake. And I'm like, well, even if Benjamin is a mistake for Elaine or Elaine's a mistake for Benjamin, like they, they should be allowed that like space to make those mistakes and learn from them so that she can eventually, you know, be with the person that's right for her or be alone. And he can, you know, mm-hmm. be with the person that's right for him or be alone. And, and I, I think it's, it's um, just like another example of like how this previous generation of parents is like really stifling their kids by like, forcing them into these like dead end jobs and plastics or these like dead end marriages with some like make out king guy who's probably like going to be a madman, you know, type. Yeah. Um, He'll be a supporter, but will he love her? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um, it's the kind of question that I feel like her parents aren't really asking. And I think that's why she is so, you know, taken or so like, um, enamored with Benjamin because I think he is he's in some ways he's showing that like obsessive love for her that like pursuit of her yeah Um, he's 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 trying to fight for her yeah in a way that I don't think Carl ever probably he does it like (laughs) he could have chased after that buzz but he didn't um no Carl's not willing to fight for her did you did you read what this what happens in the sequel no, no, what happened? So the author of the original book um, wrote a sequel that um, he only published like in the mid 2000s uh, mm-hmm. because I think I think because of licensing deals over the film that um, and I think it's only published in the UK. Anyways, I don't know much about it other than kind of what I quickly read about it on Wikipedia. But it's apparently about Ben and Elaine um, fighting for the right to homeschool their kids. What? And I was just like, you know what? I think it's much better if we never know what happens to these two. <laughs> I don't need to learn about their fight to for homeschooling. That's so bizarre. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, I guess maybe also makes sense in a, a certain kind of like rebellious counterculture type thing, like, we don't want to send our kids to the school, you know, that the man controls. We want to teach them ourselves. But yeah, no, that still seems that lame. That that makes sense to me, but it also just seems like, yeah, like I feel like the ending of that, like for the ending of the film, because I, I don't want to comment on the book. I haven't read it either. But I feel yeah. like the ending of the film with that like ellipsis question mark, you know, lets you imagine sort of what happens once the bus you know stops you know and i think knowing that like they get married and they have kids and they're doing education it just like makes this more mundane in a way that i feel like is less interesting to me i kind of like not knowing and imagining like i don't know because then i mean then it's kind of like well they just kind of fall into the same trap as their parents and i and I, i wonder if that's a theme of the sequel if falling into the same trap, you know, of like having kids young and like, you know, not exploring. Um, so that's interesting. I mean, I definitely would be interested in 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 reading it or seeing a film adaptation because I, I I would have to wonder like how much of like the themes that are so prevalent in the film really carry over into the sequel, or if it's just like, you know, fan fiction 
type sequel. I mean, not to call the author of the book a fan fiction writer of his own book, but still. Well, it feels, I, I know this is a different situation, but it feels a bit like a sequel to To Kill a Mockingbird. Like, Ex- no, exactly. Why are you rele- yeah. like, releasing this stuff so many years later? Four years later. And like, These iconic yeah. stories. Um, and I guess, like, I don't know. It, like, I, like I said, I haven't read the book, but I have a feeling that like the film, the film might be, it might be one of those examples where the film kind of understands the themes better than the book. Yeah. Um, I yeah. could be wrong. Um, but it's just because this film is, I don't know. It just like, it feels, it feels like it taps into that zeitgeist so well. Um, and, you know, I, I say this having never lived through the sixties, <laughs> but just kind of, you know, it, it, it's, it example it exemplifies my perception of the late sixties for sure. Well, I, I also think that because this movie is so relatable, you know, like yeah. I also had a period in my life where I was like, lounging around my parents house with like no direction i mean this is like i mean i was was working this is during the pandemic when i was living with them like 2020 but like you know my job was like kind of dead end and like my i was just kind of like going through the motions and like granted yeah like it's not like i was like sitting in their pool all day but like i definitely had that moment of like being in limbo and my parents being like okay what's your game plan for the next five years because like you cannot stay in this job and uh that's why i'm going back to school and like building a new career but like so i think the graduate as a film is much more relatable and -hmm. i think that's why it feels like it captures the 1960s better because it like highlights sort of what's you know like it's it was prescient about what about this counterculture era was so important and so like underneath the like specifics of like being anti-establishment, being anti-the war, being anti, mm-hmm. you know, 19, like, yeah, there's all that stuff in there also, but like, it also digs deeper into like, what was under, what like, what were the underlying issues there that caused these movements? And I think though those issues are still happening now in the 2020s. Oh, for sure. And I think there's like, there's a very kind of relatable nostalgia to Yeah, it. yeah. You know, like, I think... <laughs> I think there, you know, the way that that Ben kind of lays around in his melancholy seems very attractive, um, at least for me, you know. Yeah, yeah. In in my 30s, I'm like, oh, I kind of miss not having any purpose or <laughs> right. anything to do. And right. and then also kind of like his sexual awakening and the like the rush of um of like deep emotions you know with like with him falling in love with with Elaine and then like you know really having to fight for her like all of that stuff uh I think I think is really relatable like you remember kind of what it was like to feel that aimless but that intensely uh you know I think I this is this is why I say that like adults read YA I think it's a very similar thing like you can just Mm -hmm. relate to all of these emotions that yeah yeah um maybe you don't get the opportunity to to feel as much uh, when you're an adult unless you know of course a pandemic happens and then suddenly everyone's aimless <laughs> yeah i mean like this is like i mean you know i don't know if i would call the graduate a teen movie in, no you know, neither but would like, i but, but no but still... I, it has those themes and i i think there's definitely a subset of teen movies that you know play really well when you're the age of the characters and then play even better when you're a little older because it understands those characters it has a lot of empathy for them but also is able to like poke fun at it and and really like have that like critical lens and I think The Graduate really does do that as well where it's like you know I sure I understood this movie in a different way when I was 18 than what I do now at 33 and it gets it only gets better and better to like have that as you say like nostalgia for like lounging around having your awakenings like getting mm-hmm. into trouble and stuff not that i ever chased anyone to the zoo but um which also has i think one of my favorite moments in the movie when she introduces ben to carl and he just like very smoothly just like grabs her and yes. walks away and i was like okay carl carl's clocking you like he knows exactly what you're doing here even if elaine is like playing cool he's like very much aware that this guy is a threat and marks his territory that was very funny yeah it's so fascinating that a guy who like 
his background like isn't is originally in comedy that like then he like his first couple movies are just like these deeply intense (laughs) upsetting like relationship dramas but that are still kind of full of like really funny moments i mean i think this one's funnier than who's afraid of virginia Woolf, but there's there's still laughs in that as well yeah i think there's something about like people like creators filmmakers directors actors who understand comedy really really well had like can do drama really really well yeah yeah but it doesn't always work in the reverse yeah yeah no i i yeah it's funny like i definitely um you know like mike nichols i think has that quality of you know, finding comedy in these really intense emotional beats. Mm-hmm. I and mean, I think even like Closer is very funny too. And like, I know Working Girl is like more of a comedy. I love Working Girl. I mean, so I is lo- Birdcage, but. Yeah, like these movies are very, but like, I, th- I think like Working Girl and The Birdcage and like his other more like outward comedies also find a lot of like, you know, relatable human drama too. Like yeah. he, he's, he's able to do it both ways, which I think is what made what made him one of the greats. And um, I, I mean, I definitely feel that like he, I will, I don't, I don't think I've seen every movie of his. I'm sure, like Wolf for sure, I've not seen, which I would love to see. Oh, I like Wolf. I feel I like, like I would love that movie. Um, but it's like even having seen a small fraction of his films, I feel like you know it's. It's like you get him just because he's so like open with his movies. Like mm-hmm. there's such a um, a clarity there in his style. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do want to talk about to kind of, you know, switch gears a little, but talk about the cinematography by Robert uh, Surtees, famous for The Bad and the Beautiful, Ben-Hur, uh, Oklahoma, um, and then The Sting, like a bunch of, you know, A Star is Born with Barbara Streisand, like, very famous cinematographer um but and i i I love that someone who did you know movies like oklahoma and ben Hur did something like the graduate because like the graduate has such scale to it and it has such a like um such a clear like visual landscape even for a movie that's very like interpersonal and Mm -hmm. not as like not a spectacle like ben Hur, but it's um and you know, not something as like visually dynamic as like the sting, but like it definitely has that like, uh, you know, that aesthetic, that like eye. So it was just really, I mean, I, this movie really impresses me every time I see it on a visual level. Mm-hmm. Well, and he would go on to do the last picture show too. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, it's. I mean, I th- you kind of need someone who who can who can bring kind of all of that, that texture like this. I, I did, I watched it on my, my TV, mm-hmm. uh, but I can only imagine what this is like on the big screen. Yeah. Because I think, I think you really need someone who, yeah, who can like, like, again, like this is so small scale compared to something like Ben Hur, but to take that kind of visual mastery and apply it to relationships I think that's part of why and then again like the way that like these shots move and how sun-baked they are um I think you know like it really having you know such a such a iconic eye (laughs) on on kind of um making these images kind of as iconic as they are I think you know and again like the way that it plays with focus like that famous the famous shot where you know her leg is up and you can see yeah Hoffman. you know it's, it's very clear that Nichols was thinking visually and brought on someone who could who could bring those visuals yeah yeah and I mean that like that's that shot of the leg like of course <laughs> it's on the poster it's the most famous part but yeah. like when you see it in the context of the movie it really takes a breath away yeah. um and it's really like a very um like I because I, I think it's like kind of it's like the first time or like that the, the kind of the first time like Benjamin really understands what's happening and it's like oh okay wow here we go um and so it's just so it's striking and yeah literally um I totally agree with, with everything you're saying that you kind of do need someone to understand that um in order to like really capture this movie because again like 
you know, you could do this movie with a cinematographer who like didn't have all this experience in like these like epics and it would still look great, I'm sure, but like it wouldn't have like, you know, I would love to see this on the big screen. Um and uh yeah, and and just to see what it's like. I mean, my I I have the Criterion Blu-ray, which is gorgeous. Um I'm sure. and really uh, a really good it, it's like one of those discs I'm like oh, I'll just buy whatever I like to graduate and then I'm like oh I'm so glad I have this now because <laughs> it's it deserves every uh it deserves its uh the the, the treatment that the criterion gives um I get it as someone with a very large physical media collection though yeah. I'm not as large as many other people yeah um, but I know people are just like I don't understand why you'd be buying all these discs and I'm like I don't think you understand that I need these movies to take up like space in my life right, and also, right. at the drop of a hat I can just put on these gorgeous transfers of these movies you know like yeah yeah and that's and- important to me <laughs> I mean, it's 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 so funny because like I feel that there are times where I like I'll buy a movie just like you know oh I like it you know like I'm sure I'll watch it and then I watch it on disc and I'm like oh wow this movie's incredible yeah and like it really like I think watching I mean for me I feel like watching movies over and over like you appreciate them more and more like I have found so many favorite movies after watching them like three four times and mm-hmm. um, the Graduate is definitely one of those as well where I'm like okay this is like um, this is really, really something. Um, even more, I liked it even more than I did when I watched it on like the library computer back in, in college. Because <laughs> I had to like watch it for an assignment and like we weren't allowed to check it out because like there's only one copy and yeah. the whole class needed it. So I'm like watching it on the computer trying to like hide the nudity. <laughs> um, being like, I don't know, this, this was assigned to me. Um, but yeah, it's... <laughs> This is an aside, but um, yeah. the worst experience I ever had watching a movie in uh, university that I really, I really owe a rewatch of is Picnic at Hanging Rock. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the version of Picnic <laughs> at Hanging Rock we watched in film class was taped off of A&E. And every few minutes it would stop and there would be cat fancy commercials. Oh my God. That's so it funny. was incredibly painful. The transfer was horrible. Yeah. And I remember, so we like watched it in film class, but our professor wasn't there. It was like his, um, uh, like the, the student, student teacher helping out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like graduate student helping out. Anyways. Uh, and then the next day in class, he got up in front of us with this criterion wrapped in cellophane. And this was like pre Blu-ray. So it was like a DVD, yeah. um, but wrapped in cellophane and was waving it in front of us and was like, did you see something full of cat fancy commercials? <laughs> and to this day, I love Peter Weir, but to this day, I've never been able to watch Picnic at Hanging Rock. And I really, I should like pick up the Blu-ray and just watch yeah, it. I mean, Probably love it. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure well, that, that could be your next, you know, white whale. Well, I think no. <laughs> it's. I think now, well, because I've I have technically seen it, but I think now the most surprising movie I've never seen is Doctor Zhivago. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Yeah, but uh, it, it has to be a movie I think I'd really like, and I do really think I'd like Doctor Zhivago. Yeah, I I think so as well. Um, I yeah, I really like Doctor Zhivago. Um, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've had so many experiences of like watching movies at my school library for that for that class and like Battle of Algiers I watched there mm-hmm. and The Godfather for the first time and it's like there's like weird experiences where you're like I'm watching these like, classic movies in this like fluorescent library yeah <laughs> and like you know I mean it forced me to pay attention that's good um because I know like you know I, I this is like before I had an iPhone so we're just like you have the movie on and it was why mm-hmm. like I, I had to stay here for like three hours to watch it um I remember being very like, oh my God, just in this live for three hours to watch The Godfather. <laughs> like I just, I guess I didn't think to check how long it was. Um, but yeah. One of the best three hours of your life, no many. Yeah, oh, for sure. And like, I mean, it was definitely worth it. Um, I remember being really excited because I was a huge fan of um, Diane Keaton mm. because of uh, Annie Hall on the first Wives Club. Right. And, oh. so, and something's got to give. Yeah. Like, and so I was excited to see her. And I was like, oh, wow, I didn't, I didn't even know that she did, like, movies beyond Woody Allen and Nancy mm-hmm. Myers. But um, anyway, the, yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, getting back to The Graduate, though, I yeah. have a question for you. Do you yeah. think this film is romantic? I I think it, can, I think it is. And I, I think it's romantic in a couple of different de- definitions. Like, 
I think, you know, it's of course romantic because it's about Benjamin's love life and yeah. his romantic pursuits and, you know, his affair and, and stuff. And, um, but, and I also think that it's has that like wistfulness as, as you mentioned, like that nostalgia for mm-hmm. this time, like as much as he's going through these like growing pains, like you do kind of miss having that, like, you know, young stupidity and stuff and figuring yeah. out like, you know, what's, what is your purpose and place in life and having the, like, you know, that, that rush. Cause like, I think like, I think Benjamin, like, I think he, he thinks he means it when he's like rushing after Elaine, mm-hmm. you know, and when he's like following her to Berkeley and stuff and trying to, you know, convince her to like get back with him. I think like he means it because I think he thinks he means it, you know? And so I think there's something romantic about that as well of like someone who's just trying, you know, even if this movie has is like, I mean, I don't know. I love a bittersweet ending to a love story. You know, I love the the question mark, the like, yeah. who knows what's going to happen after the credits roll kind of ending. Like, I think as I get older, the more um, invested I am in endings like The Graduate than I am in Happily Ever After. Um, just yeah, because I-, I think they're more, they're more interesting to me. They're more, I mean, not interesting, but they're giving more to chew on, you know. Yeah, there's more, there's more nuance and there's more kind of, I think. Yeah. And I hate the word realism, but it just feels like, oh, like these characters, even though I don't want to know what happens to them, they do exist past these closing credits in a way yeah. that like, a lot of other romantic films kind of tie things up in a bow. Um, and I, I couldn't help but think of, and, and they're very different films, but I couldn't help but think of like the before trilogy, which yeah, the, the ending of all of those films, it's like, you don't know what's next for them. <laughs> like, right, right. You have no idea if like they'll ever see each other again or like if this will be the end of their relationship. And I think that there is something kind of bittersweet about that. And it's, and obviously it's relatable, mm-hmm. you know? And so I just, I found the, the emotions and the desires uh, in this film, again, from all three of those central characters, just very relatable. And, yeah. and I think, I think I could see other people like, you know, dismissing the romantic quality of this film because of that. But I think, I think that's something kind of special about it compared yeah. to other classic romances, you know, like, I, I was, that was a question I had going in was I was like, how romantic am I really going to find this film? <laughs> um, yeah, but it worked. Yeah. 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 And, you know, you bringing up the before trilogy. I mean, that's such a, you know, I wanted to just kind of bring up quickly before we kind of finish up here is like how this movie has influenced so many mm-hmm. films. You know, it, we talked about a little bit the like the, the teen young adult sort of limbo mm-hmm. period, but also like just, you know, this ending of like couples that just don't know what the future holds. You know, I think yeah. you're absolutely right that like each of the before movies, um, which I talked about uh, uh, previously on this podcast, I'll check out that episode. It's, a, it's one of my favorites. Um, it, you know, each of those movies ends with this idea of like, what's going to happen. And mm-hmm. even, even before, uh, before sunset, which nominally has the like, reunion it's such a messy reunion because (laughs) he's married they're across you know they're bi-coastal they're you know there's it's not a clear-cut answer to how this is going to work out and then even when you see at the end before midnight okay to figure that part out but now they have to like deal with the Mm -hmm. ramifications of all their decisions and there's really you know as they're watching you know the as they're watching the the night go by at that cafe at the end there's no clear cut answer of what's going to happen when the sun comes back up. So it's, it's this idea of like, there's just no, the uncertainty and the ambiguity I think is really interesting. And like, I mean, I think one of my favorite kind of the graduate inspired endings is Spider-Man two, I think, you know, with Mary Jane kind of looking happy at, you know, Mm. she knows who Spider-Man is. They're in love, but there's that like, you know, Kirsten Dunst, I think both an actress we both love, she gets this really like subtle performance of someone who's like, wait, what did I just sign up for? And that's how the movie ends, you know, like what did I just give up and what's going to happen in the future for me? And, you know, there's no clear answer to that. 
I mean, still maybe the greatest superhero movie ever made. Yeah. And I think partially because the romantic angle is incredibly strong in that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think all three movies are really great with the romance. Um, I think those movies are more of a romance than I think even I gave them credit for. But um, yeah, so I, I just like, if you think of any other examples of how The Graduate inspired, you know, these like romantic endings, I just think it's such a it's such a powerful ending that The Graduate has. And I think its mm-hmm. influence has, you know, echoed over the last, you know, 50 year, 55 years. Oh, it has. And yet I can, my mind is only going to all the parodies, which are not yeah. like, <laughs> I know. Um, oh yeah. I just can't, you know, and it's one of those things where, you know, like when you haven't seen an iconic film that's been parodied so many times or referenced so many times, and then you finally see it and you kind of like see the reverse engineering, um, you know, like, Oh, that's where that Simpson scene came from, even though I knew it already. Um, but yeah, I mean, like it, it's, I, I mean, Nichols in this film have been incredibly influential, but I, I struggle to come up with more examples. I'm so sorry, Manish. No, it's okay. I can't think of anything either. That's why. Three hours I, from now, I'm going to be like this one and that one. <laughs> but right I don't now, know. I'm like. That's why I throw it back to you because I, I could only think of, of, of that. But um, any kind of uh, like last minute thoughts or like scenes you wanted to bring up or moments from the film that you wanted to highlight um, before we finish up here? I think I managed to weave them all in. Um, but I, I will go back to just um, Anne Bancroft's wardrobe is amazing. Like, yeah. just absolutely. Did they nail that, like, mature, again, 35, that mature woman with, like, the sex appeal? And I think the way that they put her in a lot of animal print, you know, like, signals that predatoriness. Like, it's just... <laughs> brilliant costuming um and and you brought up the scuba diving scene that might be one of the most hilarious things in the entire movie i did not see that coming absolutely hilarious yeah um yeah it's just like they're so they're 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 like it's packed full of iconic imagery you know mm-hmm. but again like i really do think it i will eventually rewatch it again um yeah. because there's just there's so much here yeah, um, I think my favorite scene in the film is when Benjamin tells his parents that he's going to marry Elaine, oh. and his mother, played by the great Elizabeth Wilson, like gives this amazing shriek of joy. And then I just love how, like, as the scene progresses, <laughs> he's like, "Well, I haven't asked her yet, and I don't think she likes me." <laughs> it's very funny. It's very like, it's such a like. Uh, oh God, I wish I could remember the exact line, but it's like. Um, I I do she's like I, I think he's like I don't think she'll say yes because she doesn't like me very much <laughs> or something like that's very it's really good um, but yeah shout out to um, the great Elizabeth Wilson and of course um, uh, the actor who plays Mr. Braddock is uh, William Daniels you mm. know whom we all know um, from What Meets World. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, like if listeners have not seen this movie, I highly recommend checking it out because I think it's uh, it feels very fresh and modern, even though it's like kind of baked into like the 1960s, like the specific time period, but in such a way that feels prescient and relatable. And I, I think that there's a lot to um, a lot to gain from it, you know, mm-hmm. five decades <laughs> plus later. And I didn't mention this and I probably should have, but I also, I really like how the film um, deals with kind of putting female sexuality, like female desire front and center, Yeah, um, especially an older woman's desire. I mean, you kind of have to, to make the film work, but that just kind of, again, feels so ahead of its time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have I ever told you about my uh, dream remake casting for Mrs. Robinson? <laughs> No, but I am curious. Um, and also, it just came to me, like, obviously, American yeah. Pie, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, no, the actress I've always wanted to see play uh, Mrs. Robinson is our own Ashwadi Arai. I feel like oh. she would be amazing in this. Um, well, and you kind and... of get that a bit in, like, Adel Haimushka. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I mean, it's, it's different, but you get, it's like... It's different, but, like... Yeah. I think that was the movie where I saw it the first time where I'm like, oh yeah, she can act like 
you know, she's always been a very beautiful, sexy woman, mm-hmm. but like to see her like wield her sexuality or like take control of it in that way, it's very rare just because it's yeah. just not the kind of roles that Bollywood movie stars get to do that often. Um, mm-hmm. So when I saw that movie, I was like, okay, she could be like, I would love to see her take on like that kind of role in a much like meteor film. Um, so yeah, if anyone is ever doing a, a graduate remake in India or elsewhere, I think a Shorty Rai would be the actress to beat for that role i like i don't know how to get the kind of power to make this happen but <laughs> so you work on that and i'll work on the bollywood remake of uh the long goodbye with jim sarve in the l.a gold role oh my god see that's perfect um, isn't it hey, yeah <laughs> um yeah because like they both also have that like weird like sexual charisma they do know? like it's like unsettling but in a good way yeah um okay good we, we have our missions where we're good to go um Aaron please uh tell listeners where they can find you and all the amazing work that you do oh for sure um so I do two film podcasts uh one is called trash art in the movies and the other one is called Bollywood is for lovers so can find those out in the podcast world. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Erin E. Fraser, E-R-N-E-F-R-A-S-E-R. It's also my letterbox handle. And yeah, that's that's where you can find me if you enjoyed what I had to say in this episode. Yes, absolutely. Um, yes, you can find me on Twitter at vertigay314. Also, please follow the podcast at It Had To Be You. And remember to rate review and subscribe to the show to help people find the show Aaron thanks so much I'm so glad that you finally watched this amazing movie um, and I am excited to um, to uh, hear about your aunt's reaction to this episode and you're finally uh, crossing this off your blind spots list <laughs> I'll let you know how it goes <laughs> yes thank you and, and thanks to the listeners for listening Thank you so much for having me. 10,000 people, maybe more. People talking without speaking. People hearing without listening. People writing songs that voices never share. No one dare disturb the sound.